Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. The title of the podcast is Sometimes God Makes You Do Things You Do Not Want to Do. And you can read this podcast if you want to. It's over 2,000 words, long-form article on our website, rickthomas.net. Go there and you can read it, share it, talk about it with your friends. Here's the big question that I want to interact with in this podcast. This is a question that you have heard before, and it's one of the more difficult questions that any of us will have to answer. How can a good and loving God allow such a horrific event into my life? Now, that's a valid question. You should ask it, and more importantly, you should be able to answer it. And I hope that after you listen to this podcast, that it will help you to to ask the question. Now, if you've not asked some version of this question in your life, you have lived a charmed life, or you have a faith that all Christians desire, because if you haven't come to that intersection between good times and bad times, and the bad times are overwhelming the good times, and some version of this question hasn't popped in your head, then, well, quite frankly, I am jealous because I am not like that. I have not been able to wrestle successfully with this question at each intersection of my life where I face difficulty, but over a period of, well, over a few decades interacting with various amounts of trouble God has helped me to understand this question, and again, I trust that this will benefit you. If you want to talk about this, please do that. You're welcome to do it. Go on our website and ask your question. I want to share with you two folks who sent in notes today. One of them is from Australia, and she said this, I want to say thank you for the wonderful blessing of your ministry It has immensely blessed a friend I love dearly who was crying out for godly wisdom and guidance. I can never express how much it means to me for her to have that care and guidance. Her heart and mine melted at the generous love that she felt. I have also been greatly encouraged and edified by the content and recently directed another friend your way when I knew I was inadequate to advise him Thank you so much for sending that note from Australia. I'm glad that we're helping the folks who are down under. And then Nancy wrote this. Uh, This was a recommendation or an endorsement that she placed on my Facebook page. She said, some of the best counseling available. So thankful, Rick, for your life, giving heart and ministry to so many. God bless you and your team as you give generously of yourselves to those in need. And our team definitely does do that. They give themselves and they do so with joy, working in all sorts of ways and honestly, most of the ways that you will not know. The work that is done behind the scenes to make this ministry go. If God has encouraged you by our ministry, then I want you to do two things. I want you to write a review somewhere, anywhere, on a social media platform, send a note in to me. Go on our Amazon account and account and write a review for one of our books. Go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review about the podcast. Wherever you can write a review, 
write it, and that would be most appreciative. And then the second thing is I want you to share our resources with others like this lady did uh, in Australia. She shared it with her friend and then another friend, and that's how it works. And so please just copy the link in the URL and send it somewhere where there's a podcast, an infographic of some sort, an article or whatever it may be. So endorse us wherever you can and share our content wherever you wish. The title of the podcast again, Sometimes God Makes You Do Things You Don't Want to Do. Let me start it this way by asking this question. Did your daddy ever make you eat your beans? Maybe you could substitute beans with some other bad thing that you did, some other food item that you didn't enjoy. Or mine did. My father did that to me. Did you believe him when he said, those beans were for your good? I didn't believe my daddy. Did he ever spank you just after he said it was for your benefit? Well, my dad did that too. Did you believe him? I didn't believe him at all. What if I told you that your heavenly father does similar things on occasion? That he makes you do things you don't want to do, and the things he makes you do are for your good. I would like to say that my thinking has matured a little bit since childhood, but that's not altogether true. Just as it was hard to believe my earthly father when he told me there were hurtful things that were good for me, It is hard to understand that my Heavenly Father can bring good out of painful disappointment. This worldview was Biff's story. His wife left him after 19 years of marriage for another man. At some point in the counseling, he asked a question that we all have thought about. Though we may not have asked it the way that he did, I've already asked it here how can a good and loving God allow such horrific, such a horrific event in my life? God grants personal suffering to every person who has decided to walk with him. Now, that is not your best sales pitch in your Evangelism 101 endeavors. But the truth is, we are called to step on the path of suffering with Jesus. You would not have to read much of God's Word before you realize suffering is a big part of the Christian life. Like a hand and a glove, you and suffering are a perfect match for each other. Do you believe this? If you are like me, when Dad said this was for my good, you may question the necessity of suffering, but it is true. I want to share with you three quick verses from three different individuals who talked about this idea. The Savior said, you must die to bear fruit. That is John 12, 24. Here's the verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
The illustration is pointed and painful, but it is true. The only way for that seed to bear much fruit is for that seed to die. Paul said suffering is a gift given to you. That is Philippians 1.29. Here's the verse. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then the third individual who knew quite a bit about suffering is Peter. And he says, the Lord calls you to suffer in 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. There is unity here. Peter, Paul, Jesus agree. Suffering is a proven way to help a person mature in Christ. Personal discomfort is not mean when it is under the control of a sovereign and merciful God. Suffering is God's will at times in your life. Now, that is the distinction between your heavenly father and your earthly father. In fact, Hebrews 12 talks about this idea. In Hebrews 12, 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, there's more to that text in Hebrews 12, and it talks about our earthly fathers bringing discipline to us. The most apparent reason for suffering from God well, it is to break us from our independent spirit. You could substitute the word self-reliance or self-sufficiency here. Mercifully, the aggravation of pain can bring you to a place of trusting God rather than yourself. Now, this is not a call for pragmatism where results are all that matters, but it is a call. It is a good thing if suffering can bring peaceful fruit of righteousness into our lives. The man who learns not to rely on himself, but to rely on God alone, is a humble, wise, and broken man. Biff was learning the wisdom of Paul. The great apostle was tested severely, but he knew his suffering was for the benefit of God's glory. I want to share with you two passages that are critical to our ministry and this idea of suffering. If you have read or listened to me for any amount of time, you have heard these two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I would encourage you to memorize these verses, and what I want to do in this podcast is I want to share them with you, and then I want to extrapolate the verses. Again, the title of the podcast is Sometimes God Makes You Do Things You Don't Want to Do. This is an important podcast for you. It's an important article for all of us. In fact, I have a link here to my book that was just published in the summer of 2018 called Suffering Well, How to Suffer Well. 
The subtitle, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. It is an autobiographical journey through the book of Job, the things that the Lord has taught me as I have interacted with that book. A lot of people are getting it and they are benefiting from it. And I would encourage you, there's a link in this article, or just go to Amazon and search for Suffering Well by me, you will find the book, and you can order it, and they will ship it to your door. But it is imperative that we have a sound theology of suffering because if we don't, it's not that suffering will escape us. We will suffer. You already have, and you're going to suffer more in the future. Thus, it is imperative that we not only understand these two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 eight and nine, but we are able to apply them practically into our lives. Here are the two verses. Paul said, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Here's the second sentence. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then here's the final sentence. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, in these sentences here, in these two verses, I have underlined uh, four words or phrases. They are ignorant. Paul did not want you to be ignorant. Affliction. Well, that's the problem. And then he says, beyond our strength, it's important that we understand this, that God wants to push us beyond our ability to fix our problems. And then finally, the solution to rely not on ourselves, but to rely on God. I want to talk about that now in the podcast. The first word was, don't be ignorant. This descriptor is not a harsh word but a helpful one in context of the way Paul is using it. Paul does not want you to miss this significant point, and you will if you are not aware. Aware is the opposite of ignorance. If you are not aware of the depths of God's love and care for you, don't be ignorant. Paul is about to open up the Corinthians' understanding of the suffering he went through in Asia, he perceived they might misunderstand the real reason that he and his friends went through their painful disappointments. One of the things you don't want to do is miss the point of pain. It is so crucial that you don't miss this. To not understand the purpose of your pain could mean You'll have to walk a similar path of suffering again because you were ignorant of what God was teaching you. Don't be offended if someone is warning you about the potentiality of resident ignorance in your mind. Take heed and don't be ignorant. Don't miss the point. This purpose is why Daddy said, this was for my good. He did not want me to be ignorant. Unfortunately, I think I missed it every single time that he ever said that to me as a child. And I stayed ignorant. I didn't get the point of eating beans. I didn't get the point of getting spankings. I know better now. 
because I'm not ignorant anymore. But it did take me a while to catch on to these more profound truths that I'm speaking about here. I hope you're not as ignorant as I was. His first point in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 is don't be ignorant. The second point is the purpose of pain. Missing the point of pain is natural. Sometimes the pain can be such a distraction that you do not factor God into the picture. How many times have you gone through suffering and your spiritual instincts were too dull or too distracted or too slow to think about how God was working in your life? I get that. And Paul anticipated this, which is why he was pointing the Corinthians to the purpose of his affliction in Asia. Anytime there is personal suffering, you must direct your first questions to God rather than over-fixating on the pain or the individual who is causing the difficulty. Dear God, what are you teaching me at this moment? That is the question that you want to ask. One of the more significant challenges or difficult times in my life was when my first brother was murdered in 1987, and I still remember so clearly this day that that was the question that I asked God. What is it that you are trying to do? What is it that you are trying to teach me? This query is a soul-searching and trajectory-setting perspective. If you ask it first, you will orient your soul in the right direction. This perspective on suffering is it's more than the significant difficulties in your life. It's for all the challenges that come your way. You just don't want to ask this question when you have a big problem, but you want to habituate your mind to where you're asking this question all the time. Let's suppose that you're sitting at a traffic light because this has probably happened to you and things are not going your way, literally, and you are in a hurry. Now, this scenario is a perfect time for you to pop the question, Dear Father, what are you trying to teach me through this temporary inconvenience? Can you see how this question can settle your soul and point you to God? If you do not ask this question, especially in the little annoyances of life, after a while it will snowball and you'll have a difficult time reorienting your mind to any kind of difficulty in your life. And this could be detrimental, especially when the big ones do come. To ask the question, God, what are you up to, is an exercise of faith in him, which is the real point. Paul is trying to make. In every situation in life, we are to rely on God and not on ourselves. No matter how small the challenge, our habit must be God first, circumstance second. Be assured, there is always a purpose in pain. Never be ignorant of this truth. Paul appealed to the Corinthians. He did not want them to be unaware of the affliction that came to them in Asia. May I ask you, how ignorant are you regarding the difficulties you are going through today? Second question, can you see the hand of God in your suffering? 
Perhaps a good exercise for you to do, if you want to do it, is write out at least five things the Lord has taught you through your suffering. Now, if you can do this, ignorance will be abated and faith in God is maturing. And that is a beautiful thing. Some people will teach, well, all you need to do when you go through suffering is you need to let go and let God. I dislike that saying, the way it has traditionally been said. Usually people use it when they use it. They mean it's all God and not you. Well, that's unbiblical. We have a responsibility to respond to God about the things that are in our lives. There is no truth in letting go of your effort and trusting God. It is a relationship, which means there are two people involved and you are required to do something. Now, Paul is asking the Corinthians to let God. Yes, he is. But he is fully aware it will require effort on their part. Why? Because trusting God is not easy. Paul is asking us to let go of our self-reliance. This temptation is one of the biggest sins we will ever commit. Self-sufficiency, an independent spirit, self-reliance was a sin of Adam and Eve. They chose to rely on their own way, their own thinking, their own strength, their own insight, their own wisdom. They decided not to rely on God, or another way of saying this, they decided not to believe God. Self-reliance is anti-belief in God. And we're just like the first couple. We have many opportunities each day to rely on God rather than ourselves. I suspect we don't even realize how often we choose us over Him. It is so ingrained in us that we rarely sense it. We are ignorant, which is what Paul said, don't be. And it's why I was saying earlier that we want to make sure that we are orienting, reorienting our mind toward God, especially in the little annoyances of life because we don't want to be so dull to those things because it will hinder us, especially in the big moments. But God does see these things. He knows us very well. The Lord knows how stuck we are on our intellect and our abilities. He also knows that it will what it will take to break us away from ourselves so we can rely on Him. The thing that will do the trick is suffering. Personal suffering is the medicine that cures us of self-reliance. And though we don't like that kind of medicine, it will work if we are not ignorant of its effectiveness and purposes. One final time, are you ignorant? It is interesting to me that Paul uses resurrection language in his appeal to us or in his appeal to the Corinthians. He said to rely on him who raises the dead. He tells them the reason the suffering came to his team in Asia was so they would learn to rely on him who raises the dead. That's the resurrection language. He could have said the affliction that came to them was to make them to trust God, to have faith in God, to trust him who died for all. 
There are many ways he could have said what he said, but he chose the specific language, inspired language, to say, him who raises the dead. If he said God was teaching them, Paul and his team, to trust him who died on the cross, it would not have been as effective. There were a lot of people dying on crosses. But there was only one person who came out of the grave the way Jesus did. When Paul used resurrection language, he was pointing them to a single historical event by a unique historical figure. We are talking power. He was pointing them to the supreme, antithetical, opposite of the sin problem that he was addressing, self-reliance. You can't get any farther from self-reliance than relying on him who raises the dead. Though a man could die on a cross, there is no way a man could resurrect himself from a grave. The resurrection is beyond any man's ability to accomplish. And that is what Paul wanted the Corinthians to see. There is someone who can be trusted, and what he can do is far superior to anything you can do, which begs the question, will you trust him? Here are the hard facts. Sometimes we can be so determined to do things our way that God has to bring us to the brink of death to save us from ourselves. Paul said they felt as though they had a death sentence written on them. They even despaired of life itself. I am not sure if you have ever been to this point. I have. I have asked God to kill me because I was in such despair. The way that I asked him, well, I'll tell you. I I told God, I'm too chicken to kill myself, so I'm not going to go there. But if you could blow out the tire on my car and allow it to go over the bridge, any bridge, it doesn't matter, I would be a willing candidate. I was in that kind of despair. Not going to take my life, but open to the possibility if that is what God wanted to do. The aftermath of losing my wife and my two children, that is what I'm talking about, in 1988, it was beyond my ability to recover. I wanted to die because it seemed like the best viable option. What I didn't immediately understand due to my ignorance, I did learn afterward. God was systematically putting me to death. He was breaking me away from myself so I would stop relying on myself and trust someone who could do far more than I ever imagined, one who could raise the dead. Dear friends, I cannot even explain the depth of despair, sorrow, hopelessness, and regret But some of you do know what I'm talking about because you have suffered traumatic loss too. And even though you have not lost when you suffer loss. Did you hear that? You have not lost when you suffer loss. There is still a God in heaven who is working on your behalf. You must believe this even though you may not be able to feel this at this moment. If you are not ignorant, 
but will pray a prayer of repentance, asking God to do for you what you can't do for yourself, you will in time experience Him who raises the dead in new and faith-invigorating ways. Memorize verses. That would be a good process, an excellent discipline for you. Let those verses course over your mind throughout your day, throughout your week. Ask God to help you not to be ignorant, but to give you faith to trust Him who is breaking you from the bondage of personal strength, ingenuity, and confidence in yourself. God will break you of this. Appeal to Him. And when He finishes with you, there will be a strength you never experienced before. It will be resurrection strength that will sustain you through any difficulty that you will ever face. I want to finish the podcast by sharing this verse, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. They go like this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And that may be the first verses that you would want to memorize. I would encourage you also to memorize 2 Corinthians 1, the verses that I've been talking about in this podcast, 8 and 9 specifically. The title of the podcast and the article on the website, sometimes God makes you do things you don't want to do. There is a purpose behind that. Now, if you're struggling with this, as many of you are, I would love to be able to interact with you on our forums. Please come there and let's talk. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.